If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series of messages through the Sermon on the Mount called How to Live According to Jesus. And we're working our way through the Beatitudes. In fact, today is the last of the Beatitudes, but we'll continue on through the Sermon on the Mount, discovering how Jesus teaches us and shows as his example how we are to live our lives. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, addressing some of the greatest subjects and issues that you and I will ever face, all recorded in God's greatest book, the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, the title of the message today is Preparing for Persecution. So you'll notice, please, in Matthew chapter 5, begin with verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I believe that we are living in the shadow of the last days. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming and that he may be coming sooner than we expect. One mark, I believe, of this soon coming of the Lord Jesus is the increased degree of persecution that we see taking place in the world today. It seems that the new whipping boy in the world today is the Bible-believing Christian. According to an annual survey by an organization called Open Doors, Christian persecution has doubled in 2013. Reports call cases of Christians killed for their faith around the world doubled, with Syria accounting for more than the whole global total in 2012. It is recorded that 2,123 Christians have lost their lives simply because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. North Korea is at the top of the list of the 50 most dangerous countries for Christians to live. Some 50,000 to 70,000 Christians live in political prison camps. Somalia, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan were the next four, only following North Korea. About 10% of all Syrians are Christians. Many have become targets by the Islamic radicals. Nine of the 10 countries listed as dangerous in which Christians live are under the control of Muslim influence. Are Christians being persecuted in America? Well, if you equate persecution with those who have been burned alive inside churches like the Islamics do to Christians in Nigeria, then no, we are not. If you mean persecution only applies to those who are beheaded with a dull-edged sword as the Islamics do to Christians in Syria, then no, again, we are not. 
If you mean it is only after crucifying people alive as the extreme Islamics do to Christians in Pakistan and elsewhere, then no, that doesn't apply to us either. But there is a form of persecution, a subtle form of persecution in America. And I think publicly it began a few years ago when people began to mock President Jimmy Carter when he used the term born again as an experience that he had had personally in his relationship with the Lord Jesus. Since that time, the term born again is used to mock Christians who take a stand in their faith for the Lord Jesus. If you take a public stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, you can expect persecution, criticism. You'll notice uh, on your outline, I've given you a definition of persecution. The word persecution comes from a Greek word pronounced diagmos. And the definition of it is to put to flight that is, um, they will pursue you, cause you to, to flee, to pursue, to drive away, to chase away, to harass, to vex, and to oppress someone. Now, I'd like to give you a few examples of modern-day persecution for Christians in America. Uh, some, ex some examples, uh, Terry Jones, the radical preacher down in Florida, I don't agree with what he, he did and attempted to do, but you remember back in 2010, he threatened to burn a copy of the Koran and raised all kinds of opposition. And uh, of course, a, a plea was made to him to not do that because at that time, and perhaps at any time, it would have caused our soldiers who were over in Islamic countries uh, to um, be subject to an increased persecution of even death. He later did went on and burned 2,998 copies of the Koran, one for every person victim in 9-11. President Obama has recently in his address to the United States of America in his inaugural address came out in support of gay rights and same-sex marriages. His wife Michelle also praised the recent uh, football professor, uh, player who wanted to try out for a professional football team because he had come out uh, and let it be known that he was gay and she praised him for doing that, for having the courage to do that. So what our president and his wife, our first lady, uh, is doing, I think, is putting the pressure again on those of us who hold to the Christian concept that marriage uh, uh, and is between a man and a woman, not a man and a man and a woman and a woman, uh, or that uh, uh, those uh, rights uh, should be not taken away from those who hold to those rights. In more recent times, there's a judge in San Antonio has ruled that uh, in the state of Texas, uh, it is unconstitutional to ban same-sex marriages. That's happening, folks, right here just a week or two ago in the, in, in the state of Texas. Back in 2012, Chick-fil-A uh, CEO Dan Cathy uh, just simply made the concept that they hold to the traditional view of marriage between a man and a woman. It caused all kinds of pressure and criticism leveled at Chick-fil-A. You may recall that. 
Hobby Lobby, just right down the street, a business established by the Green family on Christian principles, are fighting the right to not include in their insurance provisions for their employees provisions for abortions uh, or for uh, birth control, standing on Christian grounds. They are, they are being, uh, having to go to court over that. It, the law is that if you have a business and you do not provide adequate insurance for your employees over a certain number of employees and include in that provision the right to have an abortion or to give provisions for birth control, then you will be fined thousands of dollars every day until you um, agree to do that. Is that persecution? Is that taking away your rights? I believe so. Wasn't that long ago that we as a church withdrew our support of the Boy Scout troop of our church? Simply because those who are leading the Boy Scout movement in America is saying that they will no longer ban known homosexual gay individuals to either be a part of the Boy Scouts or uh, a leader in the Boy Scout groups. Is that persecution? Well, it, in my opinion it is. It's subtle, but it's coming, and it's going to be increased. I'm saying to you that today in America, if you take a stand and say that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, and the only way to heaven, you will be criticized and you will be persecuted and vexed and oppressed in some way, form or fashion, preachers, evangelists, churches. If you hold up the Bible and say, we believe that this is the inerrant word of God and that this is the only Bible and book of truth, uh, then you will be criticized for that. If you stand up to the tyranny of tolerance, you know, tolerance is a popular word now. We have to, or supposedly have to, be tolerant of others in their religion and in their lifestyle, whether we want to or not, and everything and everybody is tolerated but Christians and Christianity and churches. Try to have a prayer at a football game. Try to have prayer at the beginning of a classroom at a public school. Resist the pressure of political correctness you'll be criticized. You speak out against the radical Islamic terrorist, you will be criticized. Your, 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 your life will be in danger, possibly. So no, I don't know of any Christians in America today that's been beheaded yet. You know, several months ago, Louis Gohmert came out with the term uh, of uh, terrorist babies. And he was greatly criticized for that. What did, what did he mean by that? Well, I've not talked with him personally about it, but I, I think, I hope I'm not misrepresenting what he was saying to you. But in essence, what he was saying is that in the America, a person from another country can come to America and live here, not being citizens of the United States, but have a baby who is born in America. When you're born in America, you are an American citizen. So if a radical Islamic terrorist comes to America under disguise, a baby is born, that baby becomes American citizen. Who is to say, you know, the, the Islamic, radical Islamics are, are, are greatly tolerant people. They're very patient. 
they're waiting, I think, to take over America. And it could be that if one of those babies was born here who grew up, became elected as president of the United States. Well, what would be terrible about that? Well, I, I do know that there, I think there are, could be corrected here, two congressmen who have already been sworn into office, placing their hand on a Koran. Now, it's not required by law for anybody who takes an oath to place their hand on, on a Bible. I believe it was George Washington who was the first one to do that. He set the precedence. Everybody else since that time has done so, except for a couple of congressmen who placed their hand on a Koran when they took their oath of office. Now, if I place my hand on the Bible, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that I believe in God. I believe that I'm held accountable to God for what I say and for what I do. And when I place my hand on a Bible, I'm in essence saying that I believe what this Bible says. If you place your hand on a Koran, I think in essence you're saying I believe what the Koran teaches. And one of the things that the Koran teaches is that you and I are infidels and that they are sworn to kill infidels. And there are congressmen who have sworn on the Koran to follow the teachings of Koran. Of course, I don't think that they would be classified as radical terrorists, but uh, who's to say that someday all of that would? I know that's a lot of speculation, and I'm getting around to the message just a moment, okay? I'm just trying to point out to you that, that is, is America under persecution? Are we experiencing persecution? We are. Is the judgment of God going to be upon America? It already is, folks. It already is. We see it happening all every day of our lives. And one of the things that you have an opportunity, how can you stop it? Well, vote for one thing. Uh, you know, I'm told that uh, a, a lot of Christians who are registered to vote, even here in our church, I don't know for sure. I've not, you know, checked your background and so forth. But some of you who are registered to vote never bother to go vote. And there are enough Christians in America today that we could bring America back to what it was established to be if, if we would just exercise our rights and our privileges to vote. So are we being persecuted? Well, you know, subliminally, gradually, silently, our freedoms are being chipped away from us. And someday we'll wake up in a country that we never will be able to recognize again. In the 15th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said, a slave is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the apostle Paul said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Now, was he speaking the truth or not? That if you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, in some way, some form or fashion, you will be persecuted. And go back to the definition of persecuted, vexed or harassed, even physically persecuted. One would think that the world would be delighted to have people who live by the Beatitudes of Jesus. Wouldn't you like to live next door to somebody who follows the principles of the Beatitudes? Who would be aware of their spiritual poverty, who would be humble, who would be sorry for their sins, who would live God-controlled lives, who would be God-hungry and merciful and pure, and who would fulfill the role of peacemakers? I would love to live in a neighborhood where everybody follows the teachings of the Beatitudes. Surely the world would welcome such kingdom persons with open arms. But don't you believe it? (laughs) Don't count on it. Jesus lived all of those principles and they crucified him. And you're no better than your master. Jesus' goodness was a moral rebuke to the civil and religious establishments. And they nailed him to a cross for it. He had no illusions about his followers being accepted by the world. In fact, he warned us, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So you are to expect rejection and misunderstanding and persecution and criticism. There are four basic things on your outline today that I want to pursue in the moments that remain about expecting and anticipating persecution. The first one, the reasons for persecution. Why? What are the reasons? Why are we to anticipate persecution? Two reasons. First, the life we live. The life we live. Notice what our Lord says in verse 10. That if we, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That's why. That's why persecution is to be expected. Because if you live according to the standards of righteousness, then you can expect persecution. William Barclay once said, there is a danger in goodness. For in the light of goodness, evil is condemned. That's why people don't like Christians, because of what we stand for. We're we're looked upon as holier than thou and self-righteous. And we are criticized because of it. But notice what Jesus says. You're not to be persecuted for unrighteousness, but because of righteousness, because we are friends of God. Now, you're not to go out and seek persecution. You're not to go up and say, well, I'm going to go out and see what I can do so I can get persecuted, so I can be whipped or beheaded or criticized or whatever. We are not to provoke persecution by strange sentiments or conduct. Christians are divisive because we are different. And if you live like the first seven Beatitudes teaches us to live, then you can expect the eighth to happen. If you hunger for God, if you feel that you're poor in spirit, if you seek to be a peacemaker, people will hate you for that. The Bible says in the words of Jesus that we Christians are to be the salt of the earth. But salt burns when it's put into a wound. Have you ever 
cut your finger or some part on your body and, and got salt in it in some way or another. You know how it stings and how it burns. And Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And if you're being what salt ought to be in the seasoning for the society in which you live, it's going to sting. People are not going to like that. They're going to turn against you. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And a light is not put under a bushel. It's put on top of a hill where it can all be seen. But people love darkness more than they do light. Therefore, you'll be criticized. Just write this reference down. Don't turn to it because we won't have the time to. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. Dear friends, Peter wrote, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God will rest upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So if you go out here and act like, and, and pardon my terminology, but you go out there and act like an idiot and a moron and do something stupid that is not becoming of a Christian, and then get persecuted for it. You say, oh, poor little me. I did that and now I'm suffering for it. Jesus is saying, that's not going to work. No, in a spirit of humility and Christ-likeness, if you stand for the Lord, if you live for Christ, you will be criticized, you will be rebuked, you will be harassed, you will be persecuted, but rejoice because you're living a righteous life. So by the life we live, we can anticipate it. Notice not only the life we live, but the Lord we love. The Lord we love. Jesus said in verse 11, if you suffer persecution because of me, because of me. You know, the world hates Jesus. It really does. Now, the world doesn't hate the baby Jesus that we celebrate his birth at Christmas, oh, little baby Jesus a baby in a cradle can't do much harm to you. The world loves a Jesus who heals the sick and who, who, who heals the, the, the wounds of our spirit and of our body. But the world hates the Jesus who came to destroy the works of the devil. Whether it's the liquor industry or whether it's abortion or pornography or pride or racism or greed and the list could go on and on and on. The world hates the Lord Jesus who says, be righteous and follow me. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30 in the New Living Translation. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you, have not been given, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen me struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. <laughs> Paul said, I'm still being persecuted. Still. 
thrown in jail. So these are the reasons for persecution. For the life we live, for the Lord we love. Notice a second major thing, and that is the results of persecution. The results of persecution. There are three of them. The first result will be personal insult. Personal insult. Notice what he says in verse 11. When people insult you. Blessed are you when people insult you. Now this word insult is the same word that was used by the thief on the cross and those who were gathered around the cross as they mocked Jesus and as they criticized our Lord and the dying thief on the cross who said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. It's the insult. That's how it's translated. The robber who had been crucified with him, according to Matthew 27, 44, uh, the New King James says, the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same word. To insult means to abuse someone with vicious and mocking words, ugly rumors, gossip, outright lies. Jesus had his Judas, Modus had his Korah, David had his Ahithophel. They were all criticized by these individuals. David said in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14, if my enemy had been insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it was you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. It was you who turned against me. It was you who insulted me. All of us have gone through the painful experience of being reviled and gossiped about and slandered. And we, like Mephibosheth, had a Zeba who would tell lies on us, lie about us. But I like what somebody said one time. Big trains don't stop for barking dogs. Personal insult. Secondly, physical abuse. Physical abuse. In verse 11, again, Jesus uses the term persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I've already given you the definition for it. We don't have the time to look at it, but just write this reference down. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 through 39. Hebrews 11, 33, 39. And what I'm pointing out to you in that passage of Scripture is you will find a list of things that Christians endured because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will find such terms in Hebrews 11, 33 through 39 as lions, fire, sword, tortured, mocking, scourging, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawed in half, tempted, put to death with a sword, went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. This follows a long list of people of Hebrews chapter 11 who followed God and had faith in the Lord Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith, God's hall of faith. And it were as though the writer of Hebrews, when he came to the end of the list, he said, let me add on to that all of these. And he lists these different ways of people being put to death, sawed in half, killed, murdered, crucified, thrown into a lion's den. He said they persecuted the prophets the same way, same way. So there's personal insult, physical abuse, and then social stigma. Social stigma. 
Notice in verse 11, he said, Blessed are they who falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Falsely. That what they say about you is not true. And if that happens to you, then rejoice. You may not be able to defend yourself. I remember it wasn't that long ago in this, in this very church where I was going through a very difficult time and some anonymous individual wrote a letter slandering my name and mailed it out to the leaders of our community. And there wasn't a thing I could do about it. Nobody could do anything. I didn't know who it was. God does. So payday someday. And, and so I, I couldn't defend myself, couldn't at all. Of course, those of you who know me <laughs> knew it wasn't true, but nonetheless, it was, it was done. I was slandered in this community because of it. Social stigma. You know, Satan is a liar. Jesus said he was. And that he's a father of lies. You know, anytime you tell a lie, you know where you get your inspiration? You get it from the devil. That's where you get it from. The devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. In 1 Peter 4, verses 15 and 16, Jesus, uh, Peter said, If you suffer, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So we need to go on. One other verse of scripture, and then we will, okay? Luke 10 Verses 1 through 3. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. He was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And then verse 3 says, go, behold, I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus said that. I'm sending you out into the world. And you're going to be like a lamb surrounded by wolves. I don't know who this person was, but I sure like the quote. Elwin Davis said this. As the Father sent Jesus, who is called the Lamb, even so you are to go into the world as a lamb. In the midst of wolves? Well, will they howl? <laughs> They'll howl, all right. We we feel their fangs? You bet we will. Will it hurt? Of course it will. Even unto death? Yes, even unto death. How else would you prefer to die? How else would you prefer to live? Oh, to be like Jesus, even if it means being a sheep among wolves. <laughs> Blessed are you when people persecute you. And say all kinds of evil things falsely against you. Rejoice and be glad. Number three, not only the reasons for persecution and the results of persecution, but number three, the response to persecution. What is to be our response? Well, there are three responses. We are to realize that we will reign as a king. Reign like a king. Because Jesus said in verse 10, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> My father is rich in houses and lands. He owns the wealth, the world of his hands. His riches and rubies and diamonds. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. So whenever you're criticized and persecuted and slandered, never come down to the level of those who persecute you. 
Never try to get even with them. To get even means just that, to get on their level. You've got to get on their level, the same level that they're on if you're going to get evil, even with them. There are three levels of life. You can live a hellish life, which means to do evil for good. You can be a human and be good for good. Or you can be like heaven, good for evil. So we're to reign like a king. And uh, then number two, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Jesus said, when they persecute you this way, rejoice and be glad. James tells us, consider it all joy when you fall into different kinds of temptations. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, after the, Peter and the other disciples and apostles were whipped and flogged and thrown into jail, they went away from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So reign like a king. Rejoice in the Lord. And then number three or C, letter C, respond in love. Respond in love. You had to go down to verse 44 in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 44 it says, in verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your enemy, uh, neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say, do you love your enemies? And pray for those who persecute you. So my response ought to be to respond in love. Not easy to do. You heard that it's been said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. I turn it around. Love your enemies, he says. Doesn't mean you hate your neighbors, but just love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Love those who criticize you. Love those who mistreat you and, and, and judge you unfairly and say all kinds of evil, blasphemous things that you know that are not true. You know what the world needs today? The old secular song uh, by Hal David and Burt Bacharach. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. There's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. And then finally, number four, the rewards of persecution. What are the rewards? There are three of them. Enjoying the kingdom. Enjoying the kingdom. Notice Jesus said in verse 10, blessed, blessed are those who have been persecuted. The word blessed means be happy, means to rejoice. Now, I, didn't, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but when you look at the, the, the list of the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude mentions the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It ends with a reference to heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This last reference to the kingdom of heaven, I believe, refers to you're enjoying the kingdom of heaven. How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? Being humble, being poor in spirit, trusting the Lord Jesus. Once you're in the kingdom, you enjoy it. You remember the parable that our Lord told? We call it uh, the parable of the, of the uh, talents, where he gave five to one, two to another, and one to a third. And you remember the, the master went away, he came back, he brought the servants in and gave them the opportunity to report on what they had done with it. The man had given five, he said, I've doubled it ten. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your master. What did the one with two talents do? Doubled it, got four, well done. Enter thou into the joy of your master. Oh, folks, there's joy in the kingdom. <laughs> there's joy and gladness being a follower of Christ. When we get to heaven, there will be joy at the right hand of God forever. No tears, no crying, no death, no pain, no sorrow anymore. Nothing but joy and gladness in the presence of Jesus. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be joyful in the Lord. 
The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is your strength. So rejoice and enjoy the kingdom. Secondly, fellowship with the martyrs. Jesus said in verse 12, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What comfort there is to know that you're not a long ranger. You're not the last of the Mohicans when it comes to being a believer and follower of Christ. You're not alone. You know, Elijah got over there in the cave, started licking his wounds and feeling sorry for himself. And the Lord comes to Elijah and said, what in the world is a man like you doing in a place like this? Oh, it's so easy to get depressed and discouraged and get down lower than a snake's belly, as we said. But my hope is in the Lord. And we are to rejoice in that, in the fellowship. I'm not in it by myself. Jesus said, now, when he came into the area of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Oh, what company we are in. When you read the 12th chapter or the 11th chapter of the, of the book of Hebrews, he gives you a list of all these heroes of the faith. He starts off with Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Samson and David, Samuel, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And then you come to chapter 12 and he says, seeing then we are gathered about by so great a cloud of witness. Run with faith the race that has been set before you. And looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finish of your faith, endured the cross, saw the joy that was before it, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Oh, we have, we have many examples that we're to follow. We don't have the time to go into all of the, 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 the teachings of, of, of Hebrews chapter 12. I, I don't believe, personally, I don't believe that people in heaven can see what's going on here. I, I hope my mama hadn't seen some of the things I've done. I'm in trouble not only to the Lord, but I'm in, in trouble to her too. No, I, I think Hebrews 12.1 is a reference to the people of Hebrews 11 who serve as an examples but we're to remain faithful to the Lord Daniel was thrown into a lion's den Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into a furnace said I'd rather die than to bow to the image so enjoy the kingdom the fellowship of the martyrs and finally the future reward for your reward in heaven is great the word great means abundant, abundant. 2 Timothy 4, 8, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will reward to me on that day and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. So your present troubles are small, Paul wrote, and won't last very long, and yet they produce for you a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Oftentimes, the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight, but there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care, let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to him in prayer. Life's day will soon be over. All storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory, safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown, 
The tempter will be banished and we'll lay our burden down and it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life trials will soon be small when we see Christ and one glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase and so bravely run the race until we see Christ. May we bow together. Father, forgive us for the times that we've grumbled and complained, criticized you for the way we're treated by the world. And we forget if the world hated you, it will hate us. We pray that God, that you'll give us wisdom and guidance. We know that you've promised to do both. That you'll stand with us, we'll not be alone when we have to be thrown in the furnace or even in the lion's den, whether we're criticized, harassed, or vexed, whatever it may be. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me, Jesus said. Give us courage. Walk with us, Lord, and we'll not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.